everybody, and welcome into a new episode of I Am A Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined as always by Dave Matter to break down this week in Mizzou sports. We've got some basketball up, some basketball downs to discuss this week, some football news with the schedule being finalized, and kind of some uh, news related to Missouri as uh, as a an old friend returns to the SEC in a major way. Also get Dave's thoughts on on new defensive coordinator Wilkes. Steve Wilkes joins Mizzou, and Dave has a chance has had a chance to catch up with him. Um, we'll figure out where where he fits and what his plans are for the Tigers here in this edition of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. Dave, start things out, man. Plenty to discuss this week, but first of all, how are things in Columbia? Things are good. It snowed. Big, uh, big news. Got a little snow on the ground. Haven't haven't left the house, but um, look, looks nice out there. Snowed in. It's pretty. Yeah, same same here. And uh, I I don't mind it. I'm all for uh, if it's gonna get cold, I'm I'm okay with the with a little snow. Um, unfortunately, it's also chilled a little bit on the Missouri basketball team here, Dave. Um, you and I kind of both thought this was going to be a bit of a trap game for the Tigers um, going from that, that emotional win at Tennessee to playing Auburn, which I'm sorry, folks, if you, if you weren't aware of Sharif Cooper and how different Auburn was playing with this young freshman guard uh, running their, their system, they're a much better team. And Missouri found out how losing at Auburn, Every time Sharif, stepped, Sharif Cooper stepped off the court, Dave, Missouri was the better team. But every time he was on the court, it was very clear that Auburn was a more athletic, uh, more aggressive team that the Tigers couldn't keep up with. Yeah, as you were talking, I was trying to find a, uh, a sound effect of a whistle and play it and just call another foul. Because uh, <laughs> that's all that game was. And it was, unfortunately for Missouri, it was more at their expense than in their favor. But Cooper was really good. I kind of went into that game thinking this is a not an ideal matchup for Missouri. It, it rarely is. Now Missouri did beat Auburn last year. um, But before that they've had trouble. Conzo's had trouble against Bruce Pearl's teams in the last 57 Missouri games. The opponent has scored 80 points only five times, but three of those five have been Auburn. I mean, they, they get up and down the floor. Um, they hit some threes last night from some guys that don't normally shoot threes or make threes. And then Cooper was just outstanding. Auburn only wins the game by six, but his plus minus was 20. So when he was on the floor, they were 20 points better. I mean, that's, that's the difference in the game. They couldn't guard him. They couldn't get in front of him. He wasn't making shots from outside. He, nor- he rarely does. He just attacks the rim and either gets a layup, finds an open teammate or gets fouled. And he got fouled nonstop. Now it, use air quotes maybe for that because Missouri fans, I'm sure Conzo didn't like a lot of those calls, but he took 21 free throws. Missouri took only 27. So that's, that's basically the story of the game. Well, and, there, and there were some bad calls. I'm not going to yeah. say the officials had a great night. A few jumped out. Um, the technical on Jeremiah Tillman after the missed dunk, I, I didn't think he um, was hanging on the rim or whatever it was claimed that he was doing there. There was that loose ball uh, that Mitchell Smith was called on a foul yeah. four, which made no sense. It was, it was a 50, 50 ball. And then there were some times where he thought maybe that was a, you know, maybe those guys were set up to draw a charge on Cooper and it was awarded a block, but you know, I, I kind of, I, I ticked off some Mizzou fans because I said the story of this game was Cooper and not the fouls. And if you yeah. were watching it, I don't know how you could disagree with that because, you know, Missouri fans have to understand part of their game is doing the same thing Cooper was doing. Right. You know, Missouri's at its best when when Pinson and 
and the Smiths are driving in and getting contact, getting to the free throw line. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Illinois fans were mad that Missouri had won with this style of a game. Attack, draw fouls, get to the rip, get to the free throw line, make free throws. Cooper was just better at it than we've seen really anybody be against Missouri. Super fast. He can stop and start. You try to defend him, you help, and then all of a sudden he's throwing a lob. I mean, I wouldn't love to know how many points he created off of lobs, either alley-oops or lob passes that turned into nuts. They, they just didn't have a great way of, of slowing him down. And, yeah, there were some there's ticky-tack foul calls, but the reason those fouls were being called is because this was a dynamic player. Um, so, you know, I don't know that it's, a, it's not a world-ender for Missouri. Disappointed they couldn't keep the momentum going after a really great win at Tennessee. But the good news for Missouri and, and the rest of the SEC is this Auburn team will not be in the SEC tournament right. because they banned themselves from the postseason. The good news for the rest of college basketball is they won't be in the NCAA tournament because the way this guy's playing, I think Auburn might be – Auburn might beat a lot of teams here down the stretch, Dave. Absolutely. And, and it's crazy to think they lost their first four conference games. They, they didn't have Cooper until five, six games ago. And you look at their schedule right now. Now, they play Baylor Saturday in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, or is it Big 12 SEC Challenge? I guess it depends what, what market you're in when you say it. But So that's obviously a really tough game. But after that, they've got a really manageable stretch. They play the Mississippi schools. They play Vanderbilt. They play Georgia. Their schedule is more backloaded. They play the LSUs and Floridas and Tennessees at the end of the season. If this were a normal year, um, they would be a team that all of a sudden would look like a threat to win the SEC or at least make a run in, in Nashville when uh, they're not going to get the chance to do that. And it would, you gotta be sick if you're an Auburn fan that if he jumps to the NBA then, and you, you get really nothing out of his time other than some fairly meaningless regular season games. If he sticks around great, because then he's the preseason SEC player of the year. I thought he he was fantastic. His supporting cast was really good too. Those guys were finishing at the rim. There was so much athleticism out there. They were blocking shots like crazy. I thought Missouri, I thought there were some calls that could have been – some of those blocks could have been called fouls on Missouri's guys, but they just – they didn't help themselves by not going up very strong at the rim. That's something Tillman has done all year long, more so than in the past. But he didn't always finish the strongest. Uh, they missed, I think, 19 layups or dunks. The one missed dunk by Tillman and then – And a lot of free throws. Yeah, yeah, and – Pinson missed four laps. Uh, just, you know, he attacks the glass and attacks the rim. Those, those kind of crazy acrobatic shots are great when they go in, and then they don't. You know, it could start a run out on the other end. Mark Smith struggled again. You know, he, he couldn't hit from close or from far away. Uh, just not a great offensive night outside of what Tillman was able to do. And then Drew Smith picked it up. Slow start, but, but picked it up strong there late in the first half. A couple things came to mind. Some of those block shots from Auburn looked like goaltending calls that might have been missed. Um, and then I also couldn't help but wondering, what if what if Missouri had a player with the passing ability of Cooper to get to maximize Jeremiah's ability to get to them? There's times when Jeremiah is dominating and they can't get on the ball. Yeah. And, and, you know, with the way he can jump and, you know, we he's got a bad habit right now of missing some dunks that he needs to figure out. But kind of made you wonder what what. Tillman might look like if Cooper was his teammate. Yeah. You know, if he was catching some of those passes at the rim. Maybe, you know, it you kind of wonder if if Xavier Pinson could could maybe turn into a Cooper type player. I mean, I don't know. It was just hard to, you know, I, I think Xavier Pinson has a chance to be 
a pro player, but I don't think he's there yet. I think he's got to shoot the three ball better. I think Cooper the same way, but man, he has some of that speed and that some of that vision. And you, and you wonder if he could make some plays like that. And then you saw Cooper blowing by Pinson. and you go, my God, if Pinson right. right. can't, can't defend this guy or not even stay with him, then who can? I, mean, right. I, I don't know who can keep up with him. That's not going to, I mean, every team is going to commit a bunch of fouls against this guy. Every fa- A lot of fan bases are going to be saying, well, the officials were, you know, giving Auburn home cooking or, or not, you know, even if it's on the road, because he's going to create contact. And that's the way college basketball is being played right now. You create contact and you're better off for it. He's going to be getting a lot of, a lot of teams in the foul trouble here as this continues. Kind of an interesting twist now for Mizzou, Dave. They they had the high of the win at Tennessee. They get disappointing a disappointing loss at, at Auburn, although I think people were probably sleeping on how good that team was. But now a, a kind of a sidestep, you got to play TCU in this in this matchup before you know before you uh, have Kentucky come to town. I don't know much about about TCU. What kind of game is this going to be for for the Tigers? Usually that SEC Big Twelve matchup is is pretty tough. Um, it doesn't sound exactly like TCU is is uh, all that impressive this season. They've got three consecutive losses, albeit two of them are against Kansas and Baylor, the latest one to Oklahoma. Yeah, and Oklahoma's been really good lately, too. They beat Kansas and Texas back-to-back. Uh, and they've had a COVID issue, too. Jamie Dixon, their head coach, has had COVID or had it as of last week and missed a game. Uh, they had they had a 16-day layoff between games now they're scheduled to play Thursday against Kansas that game was moved and then I think they had at least one or two postponements last week so as of now the Missouri game is on but you never know with these things and it's not it should not be a tough matchup uh, for Missouri and they are um, the Big 12 is really good up at the top but they've they've been struggling they don't really have a good win this year. I guess they beat Oklahoma State and they beat a decent Liberty team that Missouri beat um, they did beat Texas A&M pretty soundly, um, and they've all their losses are to quality teams, but not a whole lot going on with, with TCU right now. I think in Ken Palm, they're in the 80s. Um, so back at home, you know, you should be able to get things in order, and this shouldn't be the challenge uh, that, that Auburn or Tennessee were. So um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, then next week, look forward. You got Kentucky's coming to uh, Missouri. It's got to be – I mean, it is. It's the worst Kentucky team that's ever played Missouri since the Tigers joined the SEC. They've only beaten them once, and that was under Conzo a couple of years ago. Uh, they Missouri should be decided favorites in this game, but Kentucky's at least played games close. They've been about the only team that's come close to beating Alabama in the SEC. That was last night. So it's not an – it sounds silly to think that this game is a – gimme for Missouri by any means but it should be a game they win but it's it'll be competitive I think I hadn't realized that TCU has not played since January 12th yeah and that's if this game uh if this game Saturday holds will be the first game back in a, in a while so that's certainly one that you think Mizzou should be able to get back on track with we'll kind of pivot to, to football here Dave we talked a little bit about Steve Wilkes last week on the podcast but he has since been formally and officially introduced his contract terms have been made public um, and he's had a chance to kind of give his first thoughts on what he's going to do with this defense. And, and he and Eli Drinkwitz did a zoom here uh, recently and kind of 
basically rolled out how this happened, why Steve Wilkes is the guy, and, and what the plan is moving forward. What were your impressions of, of the hire, of the, the terms, also of kind of most importantly what he plans to do with this defense now that he's returned from coaching after a really interesting year off um, and kind of uh, sounds like he had other options to go elsewhere, but he wanted to, he, he saw a fit and, a, and a, maybe a chance to stay a little bit longer term at Mizzou. Yeah, absolutely. A very interesting hire, unconventional, I think is fair to say, since he hasn't coached in college in 15 years and he didn't coach anywhere this past season. Um, you know, that's, it's the luxury of getting fired somewhere where you have multi your contract like he did with the Cleveland Browns. You can, you can afford to do that with those guaranteed contracts. Um, but he also, I think to his credit, he said he did it so that he could kind of press pause on his career, refresh his batteries. And I think the most interesting part is what he did during that year off. He, he just studied defenses and studied offenses more than anything, studied the RPOs, uh, the things that he said have infiltrated the NFL from the college game. Uh, so I, it sounded more like he was, you know, preparing to stay in the NFL because he wanted to look at these things, these new trends in the league, but he was open to doing either college or the NFL. And, and um, really, really interesting. He wanted to get out and, and visit with coaches around the country. You can't do that with COVID obviously, but um, unconventional hire, that doesn't mean it can't work. I think it's interesting that Missouri is making him the first million dollar assistant coach in team history. Um, when you throw in some of these uh, retention bonuses that he'll get, um, you know, after his base salary, he's a guy that was in demand. I mean, I think he, I'm not going to say he could have named his job in the NFL, but when you've got head coaching experience, when you've got multiple years of being a coordinator in the NFL and had, had some success and also seems like a very well-liked guy. I mean, he, this is not, uh, you know, this isn't Rex Ryan. This isn't, this isn't, you know, Rob Ryan, some guy that's got some baggage out there. That's got this outsized personality. He seems very well-liked. I think a very impressive demeanor. I think that will work in a college locker room. Um, I'm, I'm really getting tired of the word culture because it's so overused. And, um, you know, I, it, it just, it's kind of lost its meaning, but that came up a lot when he talked to Drinkwitz. He really wanted to feel like his, his uh, ideas and ideals about coaching and teaching fit with the head coach's perspective. And in this case, it did. Uh, so yeah, well, we'll see if this works. It's been a while since he coached college, but like Drinkwood said, you know, football is football. The hash marks are a little bit different, but it's still football. And, and, and like Steve said, so much of what they're doing in the NFL right now are things that they are borrowing from the college game. So if anything, that's where he has to make the adjustment is, you know, take a closer look at these spread offenses and RPOs and, and things like that. The things that Missouri does pretty well too under Eli. Too early to think if there will to say if there will be major schematical changes for for the Tigers. Uh, is he going to kind of maybe they could have multiple looks? I guess depending on what they're what they're yeah. facing. Does he have a base that he prefers that he's that he's willing to say this is this is going to be our home and we'll we'll adjust off of that or is it going to be kind of wait and see? He's a four three guy. That's what he's been throughout his career. You know he he worked under Lovey Smith in Chicago and Lovey Smith was a four three Tampa two style of defense, play a lot of zone coverage. Uh, and then he worked, of course, with Ron Rivera, with the Bears, um, and then with Carolina Panthers. Before that, the Chargers, Rivera's a 4-3 guy. But in today's football, and, and Wilkes made this point, and some of the advanced metric scouting stuff that's out there, 
shows it out. You know, you're in nickel defense almost all the time. So he said a four, three in the NFL is really a four, two, five in college. And his, his Arizona defense in 2018, the Cardinals, I think outsiders.com, they track all this stuff. They played more nickel defense than any team in the NFL. So that should make it a fairly seamless transition because that's essentially what Missouri was under Ryan Walters. They had, they didn't always have four down linemen, but they had four linemen. One was standing up two inside linebackers, three safeties, two corners. Now maybe he'll want three corners, two safeties. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of it just depends on who the best players are that are, that are on the roster for next year. So I don't think it'll look a whole lot different. If anything, I think when you go from NFL to college, you need to tone things down a little bit, just as far as the complexity, because you don't, you're dealing with students who have less time on their hands. They can't just be all football 24 hours a day. I'm, some, I'm sure some coaches would like it to be that way, but you only have so much time with them. You, you can't train them and run the kind of schemes that you do in the NFL. You got to keep a little more simplified. And that's a thing that he talked about. He wants his players playing really fast and not having to, you know, know a really convoluted system. So we'll, we'll see what he can do. It's a really, really important spring for him. Spring practices will start February 28th. Um, and, and it's going to be really critical for him to get his system installed. One fair question here is going to be recruiting, but yeah, I don't know, Dave, I, I got to think a guy who can go in and name drop a bunch of NFL players right. and, you know, cite all of his connections to the league for a lot of, a lot of prospects who are going to hope to play at the pro, at the pro level. They're going to find that just as attractive from a recruiter as they're going to find, you know, most anything. I mean, right. at this point, every school that's going to be recruiting these guys has a great complex and a great training program and all these things. But a coach who says, hey, I, I, I can not only know what it takes to get you to the league, but I've got these connections. That's a pretty nice pitch, I, I would think, if if Wilkes is uh, as long as Wilkes isn't like a, has an off putting personality, which it doesn't seem like he does. Right. Right. You, you know, I think some people, when they think about what makes a good recruiter, it, it's not necessarily having the flashiest personality and having the best one-liners and the most charming you know demeanor in their living room a lot of it's just about having a really good sales pitch and being able to communicate that so let's think about this steve wilkes he's african-american he rose to the ranks of being a coordinator then a head coach in the nfl unless you're not paying attention that's hard to do today and <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time now granted he only lasted one year with the cardinals um but Along the way, he impressed enough people to get those promotions that he got and then to get a head coaching job in the NFL. The guy can carry on a conversation. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he's impressed enough people to get to where he is right now and to have a choice of some good jobs out there over the years. So um, if you can do that, I think you can sit in the living room of a 17-year-old and talk to his family or parents or high school coach or whoever and try to sell them on a vision and uh, like you said, with that NFL background, uh, that that's really compelling. The the buzz about him from the NFL is that he kind of got a, the short end of the stick in Arizona. He had one year, it didn't work out. And then they decided they wanted Kyler Murray and thought, well, we'll just go get his coach along with it. It wasn't really anything Wilkes did. He didn't have a great first year, but that's a tough, uh, tough way to judge a guy on year one <laughs> at a new place. So I like the hire. We'll, we'll see how it works out with, with Wilkes. Um, and he might have potentially a, a player joining him. It sounds like some smoke is coming out of uh, a, a potential recruiting fire. Eli Drinkwitz's latest uh, tease on Twitter. Um, Dave, if this is it, and we're assuming here, maybe maybe 
Drinkwitz is pumping folks up about Juco corner to Darius Perkins. This guy's got an interesting backstory, but it would be a talented player if the Tigers were able to officially get him in the fold here. Uh, is this close to being done, a done deal? I think so. As we record this, uh, he, he's listed in the, uh, in the student directory at Mizzou, which is a pretty good indication if he's enrolled in, on campus, uh, or at least in the system, that he's going to play for Missouri. His recruiting has been a little bit of an adventure as far as trying to track it down. He did commit to Oregon at one point, and then he was uh, – it seemed like he was headed to Mississippi State – He's one of these guys who likes to change his profile on social media to, you know, to same day yeah, to what, what school he's, he's committed to. Um, but yeah, it, all indications are he will end up at Missouri and, you know, they, they need some help in the secondary. Now they return some corners and this rake straw played a ton of snaps last year. Um, Jarvis Ware was good when he was out there. He just wasn't out there very much, had some injuries. They really could use some help at safety. They've got two guys at the senior bowl this week in Josh Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie, two really solid veteran safeties that moved on. And uh, you got a you know wide open secondary for some young guys to step in. So all the help you can get on that back end, uh, they could use right now. There's some other coaching news going on in the, in the SEC, Dave. I wanted to, to kind of hit on this and then the, the SEC schedule. Let's start with an old pal of ours, Josh Heupel, coming back to the SEC on this basically the same contract that Eli Drinkwitz gets at Mizzou to be the head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. Interesting, and uh, Josh Heupel ends up following his AD, Danny White, who jumps from Central Florida to Tennessee. Um, and, and Danny White says, looks around, maybe got kind of some interest in the job, but also got some people who said, I don't know really about the security at Tennessee He's okay. I'm going to go bring the guy I had at, at Central Florida. So Josh Heupel brings that high-powered offense that we've seen at Mizzou as the former Tigers offensive coordinator, and he will try to help kind of pick pick the volunteers up out of the latest disaster they find themselves in with having to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. How do you think this is going to work? How do you think Heupel's going to hold up in Knoxville, which is a noted pressure cooker yeah. and tends to be disastrous at times? But Certainly a, a proud program, high expectations, great facilities um, is, you know, has the history of being one of the more dominant teams in the SEC East hasn't been dominant for a long time, but it's a, it's a big gig for Heupel who has had success and certainly has had an entertaining offense at central Florida, Dave. Yeah. I, I think it's an okay hire. Like, you know, we, we'll know in a couple of years for sure, but um, I, that's kind of funny. I'm hearing from a lot of Missouri fans on, on social media that are celebrating this for Missouri's sake, because he did such a horrible job at Missouri. Then I think back to when the news broke that he was leaving for the central Florida job. And it was like, you know, the program was going to implode. How, how can you replace Josh Heupel? He did so many great things. So it's, it, you know, it's a classic case of kind of selective memory on how things went. Was he great at Missouri? You know, they didn't win championships by any means. There were some flaws there in the system, how it worked. He's a coach that has no concern or regard for time of possession. And that that worked against a team that didn't have a very good defense. We know that um, those first couple of years under Barry. Um, but you look at the positives, look at what he inherited at Missouri. Now, granted, he, he inherited Drew Locke, but Drew Locke was not who he became yet. That was a historically bad offense in 2015. And 
they broke records the next two years. I mean, that thing, he had that thing up and running. Now, did they beat up on bad teams? Yeah, sure. Everybody does. Um, that's what makes them bad teams. The splits are, were pretty drastic when it came to against winning teams and against losing teams or conference teams and non-conference teams. But they were competent offensively immediately as soon as he got took over. And if you're Tennessee, I think that's what you're looking for right away. I think that's the shortest way to being relevant in, in the SEC right away. Now, Tennessee fans are making a mistake if they're thinking about this in terms of, okay, catching Alabama and Georgia. That, that shouldn't be the first concern. The first concern should be maybe catching Kentucky and Missouri and getting back to the middle of the league, uh, kind of where you were with Butch Jones before that kind of went the wrong direction. So I, I think Josh can get you there. It's going to depend on the defense. He's going to have to have a competent coordinator there. I don't know if they're going to keep Kevin Steele, uh, who hasn't coached a game there yet, but came on board at the end of the Pruitt thing. Um, can he recruit? Didn't have great recruiting success at UCF. I thought they'd be better in the rankings. Um, you got to establish a quarterback for sure, but he usually does that. Um, and then, you know, you got to handle the pressure cooker, like you said. Now, Josh is a guy who doesn't have an affinity for dealing with the media. He's not a he's not a bad guy. He's not a jerk. I liked talking to him. I liked interviewing him. I liked him so much. I wanted to learn more about him, but he's not the type that really lets his guard down. And, um, you know, he's, he's not going to share a whole lot in terms of X's and O's, and he doesn't really reveal a whole lot about himself either. That'll, that might have to change a little bit in Tennessee. There's just so much attention on that job in the state. I mean, it's covered like a pro team, you know, that far better than I do. Um, so that might take some adjusting on him. That's why I thought personality wise, I, I wasn't sure about the fit, but Danny White knows him a lot better than we do. He's watched over his shoulder for three years. If he didn't think he could handle it. I don't, I don't think he makes that higher. He'll fit in just fine if he can win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Nick Saban doesn't love dealing with the media, but you know, he's just fine in Alabama. Yeah, I think the biggest test for him right away is going to be a quarterback. Tennessee yeah. has not had a solid quarterback consistently. I mean, you got to go all the way back probably to like Josh Dobbs, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Since they had a quarterback who was, who was you know, you felt good about um, if you were following that team. That's, that's going to be the thing. And, and then I think the, the, the defensive accompaniment, I mean, who's going to be his Steve Wilkes, right? Yeah. Like who's going to be the guy who makes sure that this defense can – not be at war with the offense. I, right. I felt like that was the, you know, that's what Dooley came, Derek Dooley, who's now obviously gone with kind of, that was what he was selling when he got to Mizzou. It worked for one year, but his thing was balance. He, you know, Barry wanted, Barry Odom after the Hypel experiment, after the Hypel tenure, he wanted it to be a balanced team because he felt like the offense was going a mile a minute, tempo, tempo, tempo. And it was at times putting more, almost exposing that defense right you know defense that always had to be on the field and it's great if you score a touchdown every time but it's it can start to eat away at your defense if you're not scoring touchdowns every time and that's why it didn't work against good teams because right. Missouri would score a touchdown every time against okay teams and then when they couldn't it was three and out punt in 30 seconds against good teams and then all of a sudden the defense is asked to do everything so how is Tennessee's defense and who has he, has he learned enough to, to maybe either slow things down on offense when he needs to, or come up with a defensive coordinator or plan there who can, who can, you know, maybe complement things a little bit because he's not just the, he's not just the coordinator anymore. He's the head coach. Yeah. So he's not going to be judged off the offense. He's going to be judged off the team's record. Right. So, you know, all those, all those sexy numbers, 
look great, but the not so great when you're when you're when you're not winning games. So I think that's going to be the test for him in the SEC. Can he come up with a defense that is able to complement his his fast paced offense? And most importantly, can he go get a quarterback? Right. If you're a grad transfer quarterback right now, oh yeah, Tennessee's an appealing place after the Josh Heupel hire. All you have to do is look at the numbers Drew Locke put up and see what you might be able to do in one year in the SEC um, with his kind of offensive play calling. So I think that's going to be pretty interesting. We'll see how hype goes. Good luck to him. You can think he's got a thick skin because you got to, you got to have one when you're coaching, coaching there in Knoxville. But uh, I don't know that Mizzou fans are shaking in their boots after hearing about this one either, but that's just the spot Tennessee's in right now. Right. And we, we talk about the pressure. He coached Oklahoma for a long time and got fired by, you know, the guy that he was, many thought he would eventually succeed. So he's handled some tough situations before it. There's no doubt about that. I also think, and it's probably unfair of me to talk about this like media perception of him, but he was the OC at Missouri. He, he wasn't there to be the glad hander or to be the PR guy. He left all that to Barry. He was just there to coach ball and really to vault himself in position to get a head coaching job. And he did just that. So it was by all accounts, it was a successful two year run for him there um, to the point where I remember his name now, not necessarily by Missouri folks, but his name kind of getting bounced around when they fired Barry, like should, should they bring Heupel back? I, I also, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did at UCF. They went undefeated his first year, lost three games the next six and four this year, this year, it's, it's hard to put any stock into this year. They had a ton of, they had a ton of uh, opt outs and it was 2020. It was weird for everybody that that league has gotten better. It got better while he was there. And six of the seven losses were by one possession. So he wasn't getting blown out or anything like that. They were in the game all the time. Um, I, I think he can do well there. I just, I, I, I also understand kind of the reservations that folks might have that maybe expected, you know, a big home run, big name to come in and take this job. But I, I do think he can do well. Good news for both Danny White and Josh Heupel, Dave, is that if they go, if they go undefeated in the SEC, they'll have no problem getting to the national championship game. That's right. They, they, won't, they won't have to pull a UCF and claim a fake national championship. They'll fall more by claim it somehow, though. They can actually, they can actually get to the real one, uh, right. the college football playoff one. So that's, a, that's a, an interesting development there. Um, we'll see how they would feel if uh, a team that is not a, not, not a, if a team that is outside the Power Five claims a national championship now that they're in the uh, in with the blue bloods, it'll be maybe an interesting change of dynamic potentially. Um, before we run, Dave, the SEC schedule, you knew what it looked like. It's out. Any any, any compelling games for Missouri that catch your eye there? Anything league wide that jumps out that says, "Oh, this is going to be one where everybody's going to be watching." Yeah, well, I know everybody loved the ten game only SEC schedule, or at least that was kind of the vibe. But man, there's some really good non conference games that the SEC is going to play this year that I, I think are a good reminder that these games can be really fun. Georgia Clemson opens the year. I mean, you don't get better than that. Miami, Alabama is a good one. Old Miss plays some interesting games, including hosting Liberty and a certain head coach, Hugh Freeze, coming back to Oxford this year. That could be a really That's outstanding. Game. I can't believe I'll, they're going to do that. They didn't buy that one out. That should be college game day, man. I mean, <laughs> four hours of nothing but Hugh Freeze stories. Um, I think Missouri's got a quietly good non-conference game at Boston College. I I watched BC a few times last year. They've got a good quarterback and a good young coach. Uh, Missouri's schedule, pretty manageable, especially the first half. I mean, you you go Central Michigan at home at Kentucky. Now, granted, Kentucky is, you know, had Missouri's number for a long time. Um, SEMO, 
then at BC, get Heupel comes to Tennessee or comes to Missouri for Missouri's first uh, row or home SEC game. Then you homecoming against North Texas and our friend Ren Baker. And then Man. it gets a little tougher. Then it gets a little tougher. A&M comes to Columbia, uh, finish the year number four in the national poll. Really good, really good trend there on. You go back-to-back road games at Vandy, at Georgia, new coach at Vandy, new coach at South Carolina, comes to Columbia this year. Then you get Florida in the home finale, and then you get that final game at Arkansas in, uh, in Little Rock. Uh, so manageable for sure. There's no Alabama, no LSU. And it's a very manageable non-conference schedule. I thought this was interesting too. Tennessee, Georgia, and South Carolina all play Florida the week before they get Missouri. So if Florida is really good, and I think they may take a little bit of a step backward this year, but um, it's always good to play somebody after they have a huge game the week before. And obviously the cocktail party game against Georgia is huge for Florida, huge for Georgia. A&M plays Alabama the week before they come to Mizzou. So that should favor Missouri, you would think, just as far as who, you, who you're coming off of. Uh, so, yeah, this is, I think, a much more manageable schedule for Eli Drinkwitz in year two than what he had in year one. I love that. Uh, that gives us an excuse to get Ren Baker on the podcast. There you go. Look, and, look forward to that. He's one of the best out there. And it wouldn't shock me if he has another AD job maybe before then. UCF is looking now, so don't, don't oh, forget man. that. It's a little Mizzou family. Well, keeping it keeping it in that little Mizzou family, we should also say congrats before we wrap it up. Congrats to uh, to Andy Hill. Gets yeah, a chance to sure. get a Super Bowl ring. Missouri's longtime former former Mizzou coach and all kinds of various um, capacities under Gary Pinkle and also Barry Odom. Um, he he uh, he left Mizzou staff, catches on with KC, and now he'll get a chance to get a ring. Dave. I, I would say that he's the difference maker in Kansas City getting them to the Super Bowl, but instead he's just the guy that didn't screw them up because hey. he, he's coming in on the coattails of a Super Bowl championship and now is their, uh, is their special teams assistant. So uh, great for Andy, really happy for him. He, had, he just had a birthday the other day, so happy it's birthday. Good to hear. And uh, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to visit with him, so uh, we'll see. Look for a story soon. Pick up the phone, Andy. Patrick Mahomes, most important player for the T's, most important coach, Andy Reid, number three, Andy Hill. I think that's how it, I think that's how it works. Um, yeah, good luck. I look forward to reading that. I hope you do get a chance to catch up. We've got a story on uh, an interesting new addition to the Missouri football team coming out, Dave, um, that I think folks are going to get a kick out of. Check that out in STL today and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. And we will be back here next week on stltoday.com for another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. Even easier, find us on iTunes, wherever you whatever you use to download your podcast. Just search for Iowa Tigers, and we should pop up. If not, let us know. We'll point you in the right direction. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.